I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 143rd installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home for Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk deep about Star Trek, and lately we've been talking deep about Deep Space Nine. So we're, we're finishing up uh, season three uh, right now. This is our uh, second, well, kind of third part uh, talking about season three. We had a sneaky uh, little side gig with the Star Trek communist. Yes, so if you want to check out Will Wynn weighing in on uh, past tense, uh, go check out Text Trek 142. Uh, but yeah, this will this will close our Season 3 discussions, which is, uh, Dave, if you want to remind everyone, uh, you are seeing for the first time. Absolutely. Uh, this is all new to me. I'm actually now starting to get into a place where previously, because I hadn't seen any of it, I was like, ah, oh, you know, if I hear a spoiler here and there, no biggie. But now I'm pretty invested, and now if I hear a spoiler, I'll kill people. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, you might no, want to stay off the, the memory it, alpha if, pages. Like, they're going to... I know. I, I almost saw things. something. I, I literally, I was just looking at the show notes, and they're like, this is the first last appearance of this character until his death. And I'm like, or, what? No. Um, anyway, um, no, I know I'm going to hit a few spoilers like that, but I'm not even going to talk about the ones that I've kind of come up against, because then I can kind of let them fade to the background of my mind and sometimes they just go away so it's handy to be forgetful sometimes but i have to <laughs> say although i've been enjoying the whole run on ds9 i think i actually just overall somehow liked this little section that we'll be covering best there were a few episodes we'll talk about them that i was not as big into some of the frankie stuff but mm. uh but you know what uh but like man when when it was good which was a whole bunch of this stuff it's been really good so I'm I'm down for it. I'm ready to talk about it. Well, I said when we talked about the uh, the first half of season three, there's only two season three episodes that I uh, actually dislike, and one of them we covered back then. Uh, the other, the one that we're going to talk about today, though, uh, I, w- I wonder if you'll guess which one it is. But yeah, the other one is today. But if we uh, get to season four eventually, the cool thing about season four is there's only one episode I dislike. Oh, interesting. When you when you do the little summaries of each of the episodes as we cover as we as we blow through them, uh, I'm gonna try and guess before you say which one uh, which one is the one that didn't uh, didn't connect with you. I bet I can guess it. Okay. Well, we'll just go ahead and uh, get started right now with season three, episode fourteen. That's where we're starting. We're going episode fourteen until episode twenty six, but we're starting with Heart of Stone. Searching for a Maquis Raider on an unstable moon. Kira is trapped in an expanding crystal formation that threatens to engulf her if Odo cannot set her free. Meanwhile, Nog attempts to persuade a skeptical commander, Benjamin Sisko, 
to write him a letter of recommendation to join Starfleet Academy. Uh, so yeah, we had like that cool B story here with, with Nog and Cisco cutting back and forth to Odo and Kira in the cave. And a yep. big surprise twist ending was that that was a, a founder. Uh, the, it was the, ma- the main founder that we, we met in the search parts one and two uh, imitating Kira. You know, uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll come back to this, but uh, there's any number of episodes that start getting like, oh, am I looking at the real person or a fake version of them or a simulation uh, uh, episodes uh, of Deep Space Nine? Now, it makes sense because the founders increasingly build as as the paranoia of infiltration, uh, which I didn't know. That was actually really cool. You'd think it'd be obvious with um, Shape Changers. But they had not been playing that up. They yeah, we were mostly playing up the military might of the Dominion. Um, so, so that was that was uh, that's been kind of a neat little surprise as the season has gone on, and we'll talk about it a lot more in the last episode. Um, but um, I, I love the this this is a great starter episode, uh, or well, not starter episode, but start to this half of the season anyway. Um, I was thinking about you know, Father. This is uh, one of those science fiction is really cool to me episodes because on one level I know that this is a couple of actors in like a paper mache cave with like prop crystal stuff all over them and just talking to each other more like 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 a one act play. But um, the the emotions that they raise are so intense, um, both from Kira and especially at the end from Odo that I, I feel like it's almost some of the peak acting from both of those, both those actors and some really intense stuff. Um, it played uh, to both of it, their strengths very well. It did. It did. Um, like, like I, uh, visitors is very good at being like tortured and miserable. And uh, <laughs> Renee is, is incredible at being like, uh, like, you know, like conflicted and like deeply, deeply sympathetic, but he's like scared to show it. And like all like that, the stuff that we think of, of with Odo, he, he's such a master right. just conveying it in his face, like, 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 like the, the pain. And- well, he's also, he's mostly very stoic. So it's like in these moments where we see him break down and become agitated and become terrified or whatever, it's like really kind of moving. Uh, I, I don't know if there's like kind of uh, one of the most, this is one of the most intense things I've ever seen with him is after he confesses his love to her and then he's like slumps down as if he's been physically stricken. Like he just, he can't even bear it. Like he's going to die of saying it. Yeah. Uh, and for Odo, that feels like it could be true. Yeah. Such um, a physical performance. Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a few more episodes in this season where for various reasons, he kind of gets to put on some different personas and things like that. And so it's, it's, I, I think that probably had to be, those moments had to be exciting for Rene uh, portraying the character. But um, uh, this was kind of a puzzle uh, episode, too. And, like, they played fair. They gave you the clues early on as to what was going on. You know, like, oh, you know, how come we never are seeing this other person supposedly running around in the caves? And Odo immediately is like, oh, and, you know, why did they, why did they miss you from such close range? Oh, just lucky, I guess. Like... All the clues are there, but I think I kind of forgot about them because of the, the intensity of the emotional performances. She, she is slowly swallowed up by this crystalline structure that he just can't stop, uh, which, which I'm sure was the, the exact intent. Um, but I thought that was really cool. And it's a, it's a cool exercise in challenging your character and like really giving them a bunch of heartache 
Uh, without just, like, having the bad guy beat him up, Odo still wins at the end. He still goes into, like, detective Odo mode and, and solves the mystery, you know, mm-hmm. figures it out. He solved the case. Uh, but you still get all of the important drama of seeing him, uh, you know, basically, like, like tortured under the weight of his his emotions that he goes through. So I think it was cool yeah. that, like, they, they pull that off, and but without without just making, like, your hero just, you know, getting, like, the shit kicked out of them, which sometimes they, they do when they want to tell these types of stories. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a innovative way to do it. And, you know, it's like, as a plot, it's the kind of thing that, it's very Star Trek-y, you know, very high melodrama, a weird science fiction-y thing happening. By the way, if I was Odo, after the emotional, how emotionally wrenching that was, I would never fucking forgive the founders for that kind of head game <laughs> shit. I would and, never do it. It was even worse because, like, he had to, he confessed his love and then it wasn't even to her. Meaning that if it were to ever happen again, and I'm guessing so, he'll have to do it a second time. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, oh my god, man. <laughs> how painful is that at the end when Kira said, so how did you know? What gave it away that, like, that wasn't me? And, and you, it it hurts to even like try to remember this. But when Odo says, "Oh, she said something that I knew you would never say," and yeah, she's like, what was it? And he's like, "Just a just a slip of the tongue, nothing important." It's like it's like Odo doesn't won't even like allow himself to like like entertain that. He 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 he's convinced like there's there's no hope there in pr- pursuing Kira, and so it's it just like it just hurts to have it framed that way and laid out by by Odo. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he goes back to the stoic um by episode's end mm-hmm. um it's um you, you know and and there's 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 another um performance going on in this in the b plot and um, this is one of aaron eisenberg's uh favorite uh episodes the the scene oh, yeah. between avery brooks and and aaron eisenberg in the ds9 documentary he actually talks about uh, th- this being like his favorite moment on the show, it's when Captain Cisco is trying to get Nog to confess. Like, well, what are you really getting at? What's your scheme? Why are you actually trying to join Starfleet? And it's the part where like Avery Brooks grabs Aaron Eisenberg by by the arms and it's kind of like shaking him, like, like you know, like like mm-hmm. tell me the truth. You know what is going on here? Because he wasn't expecting Avery to do that. And and when it happened, oh, it was it, he 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 it, he felt like that teed him up to deliver a great performance in reaction yeah. to it like it felt real to him it's you know it's like how they talk about act i mean actors playing off of each other mm-hmm. but he didn't know that that was coming that's interesting and a lot of like really good actors you'll hear other actors say like oh yeah they're so fun to work with because i get to react to what they're doing mm-hmm. and so avery brooks and- was kind of able to to improve aaron eisenberg's performance by giving them something oh, to react that's to. super cool and and honestly, he had some great lines. Him, him, you know, a lot of times, of course, the Ferengis are played for pure humor. Their mercenary capitalism is just kind of like, you know, their wacky quirk sometimes. Um, but uh, Nog kind of lays it out on the line how, you know, kind of embarrassed and painful it is for him to see his father groveling for Quark. Um, and, uh, you know, of course... Um, Rom will get some great stuff before this season is out, too, including in this episode. Uh, isn't this the one where he, like, sort of stands up to Quark when Quark tries to forbid it? He tries to yeah, forbid and him. Yeah, and it happens again later. Yeah, when Rom stands up for his kid in this, though, 
it's in some ways the first real time we've seen him surprise Quark with like his technical expertise, but we haven't quite seen him stand up ever until this episode. So my heart was in my throat. The only problem I had with the episode, it's not necessarily a problem problem, is that it was uh, it's another one of those where a big dramatic moment turned out to be an illusory one. So this seemed like it was Odo's big reveal to Kira and it wasn't. And that Kira, by the way, that this is the other big thing. She did, I thought, some amazing acting, um, uh, the uh, Nana visitor, and and so I was or, I was disappointed the, the that that was a changeling some, imitating some amazing her acting, acting. Yeah, imitating no, 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 her that, that, that changing changeling is a good actor. <laughs> but yes, they did a really good job. Uh, so kudos to them. I don't know about this hiring of scabs, but whatever. Um, <laughs> No, uh, but it, it's really uh, like I can't really fault it. It's it's it's. Uh, I thought it was an excellent standalone episode. Yeah, and uh, the only other things I have to add are just like some little minor things. Like uh, mm-hmm. there there's some good miniature shots in uh, Deep Space Nine, like that uh, shot of the runabout parked outside of the cave. One oh, of the few yeah, times yeah. we actually see a runabout land. Uh, most of the time they just beam down. Oh, interesting, it, interesting, yeah, yeah. But that that was a cool, you know, practical uh, uh, special effect. And then we get uh, some Odo talking about the uh, the kayaking with O'Brien. And uh, it was like an ongoing joke, like on Next Generation, like O'Brien had like uh, shoulder injuries from kayaking. And like he like keeps doing like these kayaking programs. And, um, oh, they, I, so that goes that all the way later. back to TNG? Yeah, uh, but the, uh, the, the idea of like... Uh, Louis Louie being a, an ancient Earth sea chanty. Uh, it's just one of those, like, you know, dumb things. Like when they call, like, a Beastie Boys classical music and, you know, stuff right. like that. Well, let's move on to episode 15, Destiny. An ancient Bajoran prophecy of doom complicates the first joint Bajoran, Cardassian, and Federation science mission, an attempt to establish a permanent communications link through the wormhole. They kind of follow up uh, on the treaty that uh, Kai Wen was able to negotiate with the Cardassians, thanks to uh, Vedic Burial, who uh, literally died doing it to pull it off. But yeah, we have this uh, joint science mission. We have the uh, Cardassian women that come aboard the station. Uh, I have some really strong memories of watching this for the first time as a kid for some reason. But uh, Dave, uh, how, did, how did you feel about uh, watching I this one like now? I didn't like oh, it. I didn't like it. Oh, no. Um... I'm curious why this particular episode stood out, although I, I just know sometimes first episodes and certain episodes of, say, TOS stand out for me when I was watching them back when. Um, but, uh, you know, here's the thing. It's a prophecy episode. And it's a, oh, maybe the prophecy is true episode. And the fact that they do bring up, like, especially when, um, is it Kira, when she's kind of like, okay, Benjamin, you're going to be all rational about this. Let me put it in terms you'll understand. Our gods, space aliens, if you want to call them that. <laughs> she says, like, they exist in all spans of time because they they do see all time at once. And I'm like, okay, that's a decent case for it. But I <laughs> broadly, I don't like the uh, the idea of uh, building superstition in, um, in Cisco's life. Uh, although... There's something that'll happen in another episode like him. You know, I know they want to move forward the story of him as the emissary. And there's some other stuff that happens in the season uh, that I like better uh, along those lines. But um, 
yeah, I don't know. That kind of that kind of put me off. The um, well, well, maybe the prophecy is real. Maybe magic is real. What is real? It it was real. Like that guy did see it. This was this is the conclusion they draw at the end. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> uh, but but you know, there's they're literally aliens that can see the future. Right, but like you know, here's the thing: is like I want them to dive deeper if they're going to do that. Like, why did they seed the prophecy? Why speak in the language of um, poetry and and, it was and allegory? Written by a, a by a three thousand year ago Bajoran who didn't know like what comet fragments were. But like, what did it even? What did he? What purpose did it even serve? I guess it ultimately pushed you know the emissary to do it you know three thousand years later, but. You know, why do it so indirectly? What, you know, what's served by that? I, I think I would have liked if there was some hint. You know, I, I know that I don't want him to, like, answer it. Just say, well, that is the reason they did it. But if they kind of get, had some guesswork about it, I think going a little deeper would have made me more interested mm. in it. That's interesting. I actually, like, really don't care that much about the uh, Bajoran prophecy stuff in this episode other than... The stuff that that it reveals about Cisco and Kira, like Kira confesses that she does consider Cisco the uh, the emissary, is kind of the first time yeah. she admits that to him. Um, but what what I like about this episode is the Cardassian stuff, um, and yeah. the the subplot with Galora, I believe is her name, and yeah, O'Brien, aka Cat uh, Grant from the old uh, New Adventures of Lois and Clark in the nineties, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Tracy it's, Scoggins. It, it, but here, the actress who played her on the show uh, is is doing a, being one of a a sympathetic Cardassian, uh, which is you know I like I like seeing that that variety in them, and that was something I did like about it too. And I like that like they show up and like they're so nice and friendly. Like when Cisco meets them, he's like, "Those are the two friendliest vipers I've ever met." And then the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, like the that rivalry between Galora and uh, O'Brien that was Cardassian flirtation. For whatever yeah. reason, that really stood out to me as a kid, and yeah. I was apologies to Keiko, but I was like so sad that like uh, like O'Brien like uh, has to turn her down. I I don't know why like that bothered me so much, but I I feel like even now when I watch this, I, and I know it's coming, I feel so sorry for her. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, was she was she that into it, or was she just like? taken by in the moment <laughs> no there were there's a moment earlier when they're arguing when they're like doing some of the uh, modifications and yeah. o'brien is, is kind of mad at her and he in, in you know being like grumpy o'brien he snaps at her uh, you know hand me the laser torch and, and and give me some room and then like uh she hands the tool to uh o'brien and mm-hmm. then he goes to work and you see her in the background is kind of like like, uh. like all like giddy <laughs> so like they they were yeah. planting if you if you rewatch this you see indications that she's actually into him and that kiss on the cheek when she's like keiko is a very lucky woman like no she she actually uh doug o'brien i think we talked about this previously but deep space nine is proving to have almost my ideal star trek structure even though 26 episodes is too long for a season but if you're gonna it have wasn't that, then. that that was a requirement sure back sure then. yeah I'm, I'm only judging it through modern eyes um but the way that each episode will build on the other ones and that they will reference it and so that like the communications relay that they build in this will will end up, you know, playing role subsequent roles and you know they so they build on things in small ways from that that the episodes still stand alone but it also like moved mm-hmm. the emissary story forward um you know that that you can have a standalone episode that both references small continuity uh, and and sets it up to, like the relay stuff and 
and larger continuity uh, like the um, like the the, the prophet st uh, stories. I don't know. That's that that to me is just like a perfect balance that they're that they're hitting. Even in yeah. an episode I wasn't super wild about. Um, it, it did make me think how much I like that balance. And that's what I always talk about to you when, when we do all these, uh, conversations about the serialization versus episodic style of TV. Mm -hmm. I always talk about like my favorite is like the hybrid model. And, yeah. uh, that's actually something that like, uh, Joe Michael Straczynski was trying to do in the nineties on, on Babylon five. That yeah. was like his, that was his goal. Um, he didn't do it as well as, as deep space nine, but that was, uh, that was his objective. And I think deep uh, space you're about nine to rile that up bit. the, you're trying to rile up the B five fans again. Well, already uh, they're already, they're already mad at me. So I uh, know and, and you dared to praise B five in a way that wasn't quite right, <laughs> yeah. so. but um, but yes, yeah, now that I'm seeing it in action, I, I'm compelled to agree with you. And I know that they even want to do that in some ways on like Picard and Discovery. They have a much tighter time limit. And I think the fact that they're so focused on sort of having a central threat, a true big bad in the Buffy style, is almost always to their detriment. Yes. So, all right. Shall we uh, move on to uh, Ferengi business? Yeah. Um, so our, our next episode, Profit Motive, Grand Nagus Zek has become a philanthropist and Quark worries that he may have gone insane. Bashir is nominated for a prestigious medical award. This, this episode was not my favorite. I'm not as big into the Ferengi episodes as you are. Sometimes they work for me. Um, like, you know, I loved, uh, Quark on, uh, the, on, on, uh, Kronos on trial and all that. This one I was not as big on, but, but there was some good stuff in it. Um, uh god um i i, I was uh, laughing my ass off when they, they try and or the early attempts to decode the benevolent um uh, what, what do they call it rules of acquisition yeah uh, the what if never keep profit a good smile honesty yeah what does it mean absolutely nothing was that the first word of every rule the first or... word every rule yeah <laughs> that was great and at some point, Quark is literally licking the book, I believe. Like, as if, like, that's, like, some kind of final test. Maybe he can figure out something by licking it. I don't know quite what he was doing. I have to think that that was just improvised on the spot, but it made me laugh. Well, <laughs> uh, speaking of it being improvised on the spot, this episode was uh, directed by Rene uh, Abajan. I can't say his last name. Yep, his French is hard well. for me. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, apologize and, and rest in peace. Uh, but he... Not only directs this episode, but he'll direct uh, more Ferengi stories and uh, actually like a super serious, super dark episode in, in, in a future season coming up. Oh, interesting. But, um, yeah, so I guess I guess he was like a good director for some of the, the comedic Ferengi stuff because they, they use him for that again later. You know, as an aside, when I was looking up notes on this, I saw that it ha it was it came from a, a premise uh, that was originally part of a, an episode that Ira Stephen uh, uh, Bear had had written for the old TV show Taxi, you know, the three or four season show from sitcom from like late seventies, early eighties. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty amused by benevolent Zek. Uh, you know, right right from the beginning when when Quark is uh, trying to get some umox from that that girl that he's uh, he's also going to be able to like offload his uh, useless self sealing stem bolts on. Right. And then and then like Zek shows up, like ruins that, and then he's like, I later he's like, I couldn't let you take advantage of that that, that young female and um 
the the uh the, all the all the Zek stuff made me laugh. Um, That's uh Wallace Wallace Shawn, is that the guy? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Inconceivable. Yep. Uh you know, this one was a little one note for me. I there there's there was a few sort of early on in the 13 episode second half. Uh I guess I did hit a few episodes that were just meh. Um and then I then there's like a whole bunch in a row that I really really like. Um, but like, yeah, it's not my favorite Ferengi episode as I was, it was a little bit of a slog. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't love the B subplot either with <laughs> Bashir worried that he's up for an award. Uh, is it, is this the one where it's the award that's usually given to like, you know, retired scientists? Yeah. It's like, uh, doctors. old people it's for, because it, it's typically for like a big lifetime achievement. Right. And oh. he's like, um, he's only, uh, on the cusp of hitting 30, uh, the good doctor. He's nominated for his work in biomolecular replication, which I guess was like it was really impressive because it it put him in the running with these these other people. Yeah, um, uh, you know, um, I did like that. You know, even that that will be referenced in some episodes to come too. It's just another one of those kind of cool yeah. little things. Um, There's some big Bashir reveals coming up. So apparently, the prophets they I forget exactly why they grabbed the grand nagus because he came but, into their wormhole to like ask them for like uh he wanted to pull like a biff from back to the future and see right and see the right. future and, and they basically devolved him to like an earlier type of ferengi when they were less um less aggressively you know uh capitalist uh yeah and and i was like well that's kind of messed up that they're just going to uh be doing that kind of stuff i don't know what kind of gods these are but uh people who just go and re re rearrange people like that uh not somebody I would want to venerate. Um, well, but they I'm not, were. Uh, I'm not. I Bajoran. mean, like Zek was probably a lot to handle. So, like, well, uh, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> so he, I'm sure he was. They they um, referenced the baseball talk from the first episode when Cisco explained linear time. Uh, oh man, yeah, yeah. And like, like you don't you don't know what the you know if, if the next pitch will be a ball or a strike or you know will he hit a home run like. You don't know, and and we enjoy watching that unfold. And they're like, yeah. So why did this linear being want to uh, see the game before it happens? Like that's not what the Cisco taught us. And yeah, interesting. Yeah. The other thing I like about this episode is that Quark gives the Gordon Gecko from Wall Street greed is good talk mm -hmm. to the prophets, and they yeah. actually like they they're very dismissive of it. Um, yeah. But they they go ahead and like honor Quark's request because he was like you know if you do this to me too we're just gonna keep sending more and more Ferengi and there's like ah oh, we really don't want to deal with these people okay we'll just like turn them back and like get them out of here. Yeah, it's a, it's honestly in its way it's a very sort of Greek gods take you know um, I do like gods with sort of personality and uh, this allowed for them to have a little bit of fun with the prophets. Uh, I think one of my favorite small bits in it was that in this one where we found out Rom has been like embezzling. At the oh end. yeah, yeah, at the end, it's... and I, I love that final scene because we get to see for it to like really be funny for me. I, and I understand like some people don't find this funny; it's a little too much. But but for me, the what what really like clinches it is at the end when Zek reverts back to like normal Zek, and he's just like mm -hmm. an asshole again. And, yeah, and and even like um. His his manservant Mayher do is like all like happy though, and he's like he's like yay we got him back. I served my master well. <laughs> it's sort of sitcom style. Let's jump on to um, was it visionary? Yes. Uh, which I think uh opens with the dartboard that they introduced in a uh, profit motive. 
So yep. again, that's more like use of that continuity. Uh, but yes, uh, Visionary, episode 17. After receiving a minor dose of radiation poisoning, O'Brien inexplicably begins experiencing a series of jumps into the near future. Meanwhile, a Romulan delegation arrives on the station, expecting an intelligence report on the Dominion. You know, so, uh, so Dave, if you don't like seeing like fake out stuff that like doesn't really count, this episode <laughs> might have uh, really bothered you because we see O'Brien die three different times in this episode. It's but it was not never, fa- it never it's, stuck. It's only when they aren't who I think they are, maybe okay. like, and like they get some meaty scenes. You know, that's why I like the scene where Garrick seemed to die in the in the other one it was just like a good scene i just i was like oh <laughs> um anyway this uh, father i was gonna ask since you told me about this this concept is this an o'brien must suffer episode yes yeah this is an o'brien must suffer episode it's also a <laughs> timey wimey i i really enjoy time travel i enjoy like temporal anomalies and time distortions and stuff like that so it it I like that element of it, but overall, I kind of consider this as like a little bit of a more mediocre episode. I, I probably should like it more because I like Romulans, I like Klingons. It has all of that stuff. Uh, they, the, the it has a, a section forty seven is where O'Brien w- was killed by that booby trap, and I love the forty yeah. sevens. But, right, but it's like they're catering to you. Yeah, this is just kind of a a, a mediocre uh, episode for me. Um, so, but just so you know, you I like I actually did like the episode. Um, I, I think it, there, because there's like, I like suspense and this had an immediate, like, can he stop something bad that's going to happen that very day and may include his death. Um, and, and I kind of like the weirdness of it. Like his little time jumps, always putting him like right next to himself. That was kind of cool and weird. Um, and, and the way that they would like sometimes that at a certain point became aware of it. Um, but it also did feel to me kind of like a TNG high concept episode. And and so in that sense, it felt a little retrograde. Um, and I wonder if that might have been something that like, like you, you said it felt a little mediocre and a little bit like like it did feel a little bit just like, hey, let's just explore this idea. Um, I, w- I would like to point out that the story this episode was based on was by Ethan H. Cock who mm-hmm. was from texas so one of the one of the few uh texans that get writers credits on uh oh, on Star nice. Trek. it happens it happens oh. a few times i think i found like the the ending satisfying which is something that i'll is a drumbeat that i'll sound for a lot of these deep space nine episodes is i i feel like they they tend to end their episodes more satisfyingly than a lot of other trek episodes end for me um and uh what was the was it a Romulan covert operation to the, no, uh, the Klingons. Oh yeah, they were both both being covert because the Romulans wanted right. to blow up the 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 Bajoran's uh, wormhole. Right. Um, there's a bit where Odo spells it out to Cisco uh, about how he like discovered the Klingon covert team, and uh, are they the ones? They, they they've just been drunk and rowdy, but it's like a cover, right? Yes, they're actually there to uh, attack the Romulans. Uh, Odo, it was actually the episode before this. It was in Profit Motive with uh, the Doctor Bashir uh, and the the uh, Federation Council who decides the who wins the 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 medical award. Odo yeah. had that that friend at Starfleet Intelligence who had uh, a spouse who had a cousin who had another friend, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. But th- then here, Odo is like, oh yeah, I have like a a, a friend at like the. Klingon intelligence who's like out of favor with the current administration there and so they're they're setting up that Odo has like this big spy network yeah 
Uh, for a guy who's not very social, he does seem to be pretty good at professional contacts. And yes. I loved when he starts to do the long version of it and Cisco is like cut to the chase and, and or like, he's like, why, you know, he's like, why were you taking so long? And he's like, sometimes I have to remind you just how good I am. Yeah. Uh, it's nice he to see Odo taking, taking a little pride. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we do get more in season three, more both from those characters, both from Odo and Cisco. They're both a little bit more home, a little bit more chummy uh, with the, the rest of the crew. That's true. That's uh, true. There's, a question that they don't dwell on here that I kind of – I almost would have liked for it to have been part of the thing. Uh, they've done this a few times on Star Trek uh, where the <laughs> O'Brien that we will be watching on the show from here forward is the O'Brien of several hours in the future, <laughs> um, which is exactly like the O'Brien of several hours in the past. He just knew a little bit more. Um and uh, and sort of a question of like, is he the real Chief O'Brien? Like, I kind of like those kind of weird questions. It it happened. Um, who who was it on Voyager? Who Harry was Kim. From Harry Kim was, was like from that episode onward was really alternate universe Harry Kim. He just behaved more or less precisely the same way. But, uh, but yeah, uh, this might have been the episode where Chief O'Brien, as we know him, died, uh, only to be replaced by a, a five hours later doppelganger. <laughs> well, uh, O'Brien and Harry Kim both uh, die a few times over the course of, of Star Trek. <laughs> but what, what I liked about one of the deaths is when he uh, jumps to the future and sees his, his corpse laying on that slab in the infirmary. Yep. And he gets mad at Bashir uh, for like, how did you let me die? You're, you're my doctor. And then Bashir is like, um, you know, like I tried, I did everything I could and, and, uh, your body just like gave up and like, O'Brien's like, he's like, no, it's not my fault. Like, don't say my body gave up. This is your fault. I love that reaction. Like that. He's like angry about it. That cracks me. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Kind of a realistic gut reaction that you might have. Yeah. And he's not like angry, angry, but you know, it's kind of like, uh, exasperated. Yeah, it's just, and it's still like in that friendly rapport that they have. But he's just like, like Jesus, Julian, like why? Do, how do you do this? Like you should be better than this. <laughs> um, yeah, you know th this episode serves another sort of purpose, which is it's getting us all thinking, just on a subconscious level, about the Klingons and the Romulans again, and what roles they might play in galacto politics. And it's a reminder of, you know, the Dominion's not even in this episode. They're not even doing anything that, that we know of. Uh, yep. It's just like the existence of the Dominion as a potential threat is enough to throw everything into chaos. Right. Uh, and yeah, that's, that is, again, that is a neat kind of continuity. It's It lets the Dominion as a concept breathe, you know? Oh. They can go from being like, in episode one of the season, an immediate threat, the, oh, we better get ready for war, to... More of a, eh, it could go bad. We don't know when. Maybe it won't, but it's it's just hanging over us, just looming. And um, and and honestly, that feels more that feels more realistic. That's kind of how things play out sometimes. Um, all right, Father. Any other thoughts from you, or uh, shall we uh, move on to uh, Bashir's birthday? Yeah, let's uh, take a uh, telepathic trip into uh, Doctor Bashir's psyche mm -hmm. and talk about. Season 3, Episode 18, Distant Voices. After an alien assault leaves Bashir unconscious, he is trapped inside his mind. This is the one I don't like. Oh, interesting, because I ended up liking this episode. And I also don't normally like episodes that are mindscapes, 
you know, where yeah. a person... They tell you early. They tell you pretty early that this isn't real. So that probably, yeah, uh, that probably helped you. Yeah, it takes a little bit. But, like, as soon as I sort of met the rest of the cast when he bumped into them, uh, I, I, I kind of knew that you know, they were acting out of character, you know. And, and, and what is it? He's... He has an argument with a, what do they call it, a lethian? And yeah, then suddenly well, he, like, blacks out at some point, and he's on, like, a darkened version of the station. It's all in disarray. It's falling apart. The lethian is running, rampaging through it, killing people. And uh, ultimately he will come to figure out that when he when he runs into various crew members that they are aspects of his psyche. And I think that... If like I, I ended up liking this because here's the thing there's there's a, there's an actual mystery as to precisely what's going on. Um, I feel there's like reveals early on and throughout like oh he does figure it out early on, uh, and it has some emotional reveals in the final act when the Lethian confronts him about like his failures in life. Uh, so I feel like there's like kind of constant interesting little things happening and uh, reveals. And if I'm going to have a mindscape type story, uh, I, I kind of like, you know, like it, it's got enough going for it to make it work for me. There's there's also kind of like an old TOS plot. There's a timer running, which is to say he's getting older and older. Uh, it's that, that is, is that the symbolic representation of his body sort of shutting down or whatever? Yeah, and I actually thought that like when he gets something like the old age makeup and he has like the white hair. He does yeah. look a bit more like his uncle, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, I see like a little bit more of the resemblance. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought he did uh, like some exceptionally good uh, physical work there as far as like uh, the old age stuff. Like like his old age acting was was better than the old age makeup, which was still pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, but pretty, no, he sold good, it. Pretty good TV stuff. Uh, you know, the, the sort of the shake and everything and the straining to, to move around. But I guess we should list off, like, the actual avatars that he experiences. Uh, O'Brien represents uh, pessimism, and I like that I like that moment where he's like, uh, you know, you represent all of my doubt. And he's like, no, I don't, or whatever he <laughs> says. Uh, like, uh, Kira is, like, uh, aggression. Cisco is professionalism and, you know, skill when we see Cisco treating those people. Odo is mm -hmm. the paranoia. Uh, Garrick is, I guess, curiosity, but then he becomes the villain. Um, right. And Dax is like like confidence and ad adventurousness, you know the 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 Bashir who is like oh yeah I'm I'm ready to be here out on the frontier practicing frontier medicine back in the first episode mm -hmm. that was like his Dax, uh, but yeah the, the reveal uh, the, the the biggest one is that the the truth of the pre ganglionic fiber that he mis mistook for a post ganglionic nerve uh, he he made I that mistake I read on that purpose behind the scenes that that like someone you know, like who worked on the show, like there had a doctor or something for a uh, spouse maybe, and said that that would never be, no one would ever make that mistake. And so they yeah. retooled yeah. it into a, he did it deliberately. Yeah. They managed to, I think both satisfy reality and uh, use it, to, use it to move the, his story forward, which is to say um, he, what did he, did he not want to be valedictorian because of the, um, the weight that that carried, I forget exactly. That's what, what they, they say. say, and we we learn more about his past and the future, and we actually uh, see his parents and, and there, there's other stuff we can probably like piece together from that whenever whenever uh, you you see that episode uh, in the future. But um, it's just I have a hard time like, and I'm not a Bashir hater, 
But I have a hard time, like, you know, feeling sorry for this guy who's like, oh, poor little Julian. He was the smartest one in his class, but he didn't want to be. So he he <laughs> he, he got a question wrong on purpose. And, oh, no, he, well, he could have been a professional tennis player. But, like, his parents <laughs> were like, that's not good enough. You need to go be a doctor. He's like, okay, I'm a doctor. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't. And you're turning 30 and you're sad about turning 30. He's like, I don't care about like any of this stuff like it just doesn't like i don't buy any of the emotional weight of any of it oh that's interesting see i think because um uh maybe because bashir has been he is a kind of uh privileged guy honestly and these are arguably privileged problems like the you know the problem is he hasn't wooed dax because he values her friendship over uh i presumably uh, chasing her around like a creepy incel man um <laughs> but um but uh but yeah they um i think it's maybe it's the actor as much too is like i feel like when he gives a more serious performance when we see him you know he he's struggling this whole episode this uh the lethian is on the march after him and lethian we only really get to hear talk at the end and i thought that they gave him a good creepy voice so that even in his short time he's got some presence um but um, uh, to me, I think they still sold it as uh, even if it is arguably kind of like preppy problems. Mm. And it doesn't really mean anything at the end. They're just like, oh, well, most people get the psychic attack from a Lethian and they die. But you were really lucky and lived. And it's like it sounds like you like, didn't really like do anything or like 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 there there's no like accomplishment or anything that comes along with that. But I enjoyed the ride on this one. And I and I liked seeing him kind of get his the better of it and. Uh, in a somewhat grisly way, what do they say? Sterilize begins sterilization or something. Oh yeah, um, when he it, when he takes command of the infirmary, and yeah, it, and it's like, I, I like as if it were he, like a germ or something. Yeah, but I like it, that like he's kind of like um, you know, like he, he's like the god of that domain. Like 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 here, if I can like reframe this to be like a, a medical procedure, that's when I'm in control, and that's when I can't right. be defeated. So, so uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I would not have guessed that this was the one fathery, but that makes sense, and, and I, I can see your criticisms. Uh, I, but I think because it played out also like a kind of neat Hitchcockian suspense thriller mm. that um, – and, and I, I want to say there's, you know, like uh, one of those Hitchcock movies that at least has some some idea about this same kind of thing, you know, multiple – multiple characters representing different people or something like that, uh, or different personality facets, uh, that, um, that, that's probably what it's reminding me of those kind of suspense movies. So, um, so yeah, I enjoyed the ride. So let's, uh, let's go through the looking glass. Yes. The the next episode is through the looking glass that we don't really need to, to spend much time on. We, we've talked about this before. Uh, If you check the playlist, this is on in YouTube or if, if you're listening to this elsewhere, I'll have like a link to it. But we, we talk about all the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes and, and one show that we did way back when. Uh, Dave, uh, you might have had like some, you know, different context for it watching it this time. So I don't know if, if you want to, you know, quickly say what your what your take is on it now. Sure. After seeing all this other stuff you've seen. The synopsis is, in the Mirror Universe, Cisco persuades the alternate version of his dead wife to join the Terran Rebels. Or he will watch her die a second time. Uh, Cisco is recruited by Mirror Universe O'Brien to go to the Mirror Universe to uh, stop Jennifer Cisco, who's alive over there. Yep. From uh, foiling their plans. The tech that Jennifer's developing is going to allow her to, to like spy out the rebel base. Um. Uh. You know what was I thought was interesting in this one as as a Mirror Universe story is that. 
Although there is a plot point, you know, the rebels are trying to stop her. For Cisco, it's a personal stake. And, you, you know, usually when you're in the mirror universe, you're trying to either escape it or stop some atrocity from happening. And the atrocity, I guess, is kind of part of the plot. But Cisco is clearly also, it's an opportunity for him to reunite in a way with his wife. And I thought it was interesting to have a mirror universe story that's like so kind of like keyed into personal stakes. I don't feel there's a strong rapport between the between Avery Books and the actor who actress who plays Jennifer. So unfortunately, those scenes like at the end, I thought weren't quite the the potent ending I might have liked. Um, but there was also a badass bunch of action sequences with uh, some cool Kirk style um, bluffing and and like some John Woo uh, action with with disruptors from on the part of Cisco. So uh, overall, it's it's a it's a very watchable and good mirror episode. Um, I just uh, again since it was kind of predicated on him getting back together with his wife, I was a little disappointed that that was not like the emotional. Like, like, it should be, like, this really intense scene. And instead, she's just like, oh, huh, maybe you're not the bastard of, the, the, of, like, the Mirror Universe guy I know. You might be okay. Well, let's beam back to the Prime Universe, as it's canonically called now, thanks to Discovery, and talk about the two-parter, Improbable Cause, and The Die is Cast. I would say the highlight of Season 3, of all Season 3. I agree. I agree. This is uh, one one good scene and one cool moment after the next, and a place I did not expect them to go. But do you want to go ahead and say the plot before I before we dive in? The first episode, Improbable Cause, uh, Odo begins an investigation after a bomb destroys Garrick's tailor shop. Uh, yeah, uh, this basically puts Garrick and Odo in a situation where they they track down a Nobrin Tain and the Obsidian Order, and there's like this joint Tal Shiar Romulan and Obsidian Order Cardassian fleet that's going to go try to uh, blow up all of the founders. Then the the second episode, the die is cast. Synopsis: The Cardassian Romulan fleet enters the Gamma Quadrant. Cisco goes against Starfleet orders to rescue Odo, and yeah, we see their 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 big armada attack the founder homeworld and it doesn't work out for them it was all a trick by the the founders and the jim hadar come and blow up all of their ships and uh, odo and garrick uh, escape back to the defiant and make it back to deep space nine uh, but they've been through some shit uh what, what do you think of this one dave you know um uh just fantastic twists and turns and uh the best character work to date, at least since the episode where he had his withdrawal, uh, what did they call that one? Implant? Or the Wire? Implant? The yeah. Wire. I did not know, I know. I, I knew that he was, Garrick is gay-coded, that they, they never, like, outright said it. I did not know they walked right up to the precipice in, like, such an obvious way, as you will see in this episode, uh, the, to, to, to showing that Anabrantain was his ex, as well as his former employer. That's what you. That's what you think that a Nobrintain was like his his ex lover. Uh, I feel like it's inescapable from from the looks they give to their their rapport with each other and to when you know the intimate uh, hands locking at the end when or like at the end of the second episode or the first episode when he decides to join that it's it's felt just very clear to me he's like. His intense loyalty to him was something that could only come from being like a lover. 
is is that not the uh, the uh, the standard reading on it? Because I'd be shocked if it wasn't. What if they say that they're like family members, like they're related to each other? Oh, <laughs> well, that that would throw things off. That's fair. Uh, I guess what happened is that, uh, but but uh, they uh, their closeness sure read as uh, lovers to me. Uh, if they find out, if I find out their brothers, that that does change things, or or something, or father son. Um, so so okay, that's interesting. Uh, I suppose in in a way, it doesn't really affect the um, the intensity of the episode. Obviously, there's an emotional connection that that comes through on the screen, whether it's uh, you read it that way or not. Um, that, you know, cause, cause like the, the ship is about to go down at the end and, he, you know, Garrick is like, I have to go back for him. Um, if, if it's going back for family, uh, or if it's going back for a lover, there's still essentially love involved. So, um, I'm a little saddened because I liked it better the other way, but uh, that's okay. Um, I, I, I want to say that. Garrett gets just tons of great lines throughout this. Um, I love the early scene where he's talking to Bashir and Bashir tells him about the story of the boy who cried wolf. And he says the lesson from that is that you should never tell the same lie twice. Um, yeah. Um, well, the episode opens with them talking about uh, Shakespeare and Julius Caesar. And so it probably yeah. starts off on a, the right foot for you as like the big Shakespeare fan. Correct. Even though Garrick is like, <laughs> I don't like this. And like Shakespeare was writing about a weak leader in Julius Caesar uh, because he didn't know they were plotting against him. And Bashir is like, well, that's the whole point of the tragedy. That's what's so it's so insane about it. And then, of course, he at the very end and during an intense moment, he he quotes it um, to um, Anabrintain. Uh So uh, but yes, uh, you're, it, it is a good foot to get off on with me with some Shakespeare stuff. Uh, the the uh, the the fault is not with the stars, but with ourselves, or something like that. Basically, yeah, saying yeah. like it's like this 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 didn't go to hell because it was fate, fate. or predetermined. It it, it did mm -hmm. because like like we were real shitty about it. Yep. Um. And uh, let's see. Oh, let me ask you this, Father. He's speaking of Odo stuff. Did we his contact on Cardassia? Is this yeah, the first time we've seen that contact? Uh, yes. And part of another another part of that uh, sort of web of contacts that they seem to be building up, um, that was pretty cool. Okay, uh, well that, that's that's pretty handy. Uh, I you know, just the premise alone, by the way, of this what I thought was pretty audacious. Uh, it went from an episode that seemed like a, um, you know, a, could almost could, could have been a bottle episode uh, that was a mystery about who blew up Garrick's shop, and then suddenly by the end of it. The Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar are working together to first strike the Dominion before they can come into the Alpha Quadrant. That's a fucking cool premise. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a big deal. And, and you have, they have like all those cloaked ships. It explains what was going on in that nebula with the Obsidian Order ships. Um, yep. We we have cool like like Odo, you know, working the case, trying to solve the mystery, doing the detective stuff. We have cool like espionage stuff with Garrick. Uh, and there's... there's the buddy buddy kind of thing going on where you got Odo who's kind of Garrett. He's sort of unflappable. Uh, he, you know, you can't, you know, run rings around him with kind of clever wordplay the way you can, he, the, the way that um, Garrett can with Bashir. And in fact, he very clearly like calls that out later on 
I jotted it down. He's like, I'm not Dr. Bashir, and we are not sparring amiably over lunch. <laughs> um, so, so that's fun to see because, you know, Garrick is like, if I were on the station, I'd, I'd find him frustrating at times. Like, yeah. if I didn't know him kind of the way Bashir does and hadn't seen him, like, kind of stick out his neck for the right cause, some, you know, often enough, I'd, I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> and Father, Odo, you were watching... Odo tries to play along with it for a little bit because you know, like, like like Garrick is like really trolling them in the infirmary when he's like I don't know who would do this to me it might have been like that Nausicaan I messed up his wedding suit or that Eurydian I owe money to and, and, and Odo gets kind of impatient there but then like later when you know after Garrick was like I guess it was Major Kira like later like uh, like Odo is like I have bad news Major Kira has an airtight alibi so he he tries to like play along there's a while yeah. where Odo tries to play along, but like he finally gets so fed up, and and I love when he tells a and Tane and Garrick that like 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 the two of you spend so much time trying to say something else when you really mean this, but you say that, and you end up saying nothing at all. Yeah, it's a good it's a good assessment from someone who is plain spoken, and uh, and from someone who's just like tired of the kind of the mind games, uh, which which Garrick does. Like I love the character, but like. Again, if I were to know him, actually, I think I'd find it incredibly frustrating. Father, I was curious, when you were watching this as a kid in the 90s, where did you stand on Garrick? Uh, I liked him. I thought he was uh, I thought he was funny. I thought it, he, it was cool how, like, he'd be the guy who would, like, you know, shoot the Obsidian Order operative in um, Second Skin, you know, stuff like that. He was, he's like, traditionally, a lot of fan favorite characters, are, they're kind of like the that dude who can... He might be a good guy this week and a bad guy next week, and he can kind of right. you know go back and forth. Those, for whatever reason, as audiences, we really seem to find those guys likable. Yeah, the uh, Lex Luthor on Smallville sort of style. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they'd probably be like terrible people to 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 deal with in real life, or to try to be friends with, like like right. Doctor Bashir does. In the Dyans cast, when they launched the Defiant, it felt almost more like a first launch than its actual first launch. Uh, and was really cool. Uh, oh, just... uh, we have that betrayal from Eddington, too, who who follows the orders of that Admiral right. Todman. Right, Eddington, who will go on to become more a more important character. Well, he'll show up more throughout the season, and they will use his potential betrayerness, his <laughs> traitorousness, uh, to good effect in the final episode. Yeah, yeah, um, they want us to think that maybe he is a changeling infiltrator, uh, but we will find out if he is or not uh, later in the in the season. Um I like the Flaxian merchant who was supposed to be the hitman to kill Garrick. Uh, like, and he's a really weird. I don't know if I if I love or hate his uh, design. Like the like the 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 prosthetics are so weird looking. But just like yeah. that scene with like Odo in him, like in the interrogation room, and when, when he's like uh like teasing about like mixing the the perfumes together. To, right, he knows that one of them will create an explosive mixture. Yeah, it just it just shows like Odo like really being on top of stuff, but it was like an interesting this weird flamboyant character that like oh yeah I can I can totally believe that that guy is like this weird merchant, but I can also be like oh no he's actually like this hitman that's out to murder people. Yeah, and this is he, he more or less until Odo is like literally about to potentially blow them up, he he doesn't break character. He's he he's pretty good at his job uh, up until you know right up until he breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, but speaking uh, of breaking, uh, Odo, his torture, sort of, his uh, devolution oh, yeah. uh, is, is pretty terrible. Um, and and Garrick, uh, when he's, like, getting really upset about it, 
is also a rare case where, you know, we kind of see him not not bandying words about, not trying to talk in riddles. He's just like, confess, even if you lie, just say, just tell me, give me something. Uh, you know, he's clearly does not want to do this. If I were Odo, I don't know if I'd be quite so quick to kind of forgive him as he is at the end. And that did given... bother me. The, the first time I saw this, that, that, that last scene where he's like, maybe we should have breakfast together. Like, that bothered me. Now I'm a little bit more okay with it because they make a big deal of Odo saying, like, I actually understand what it feels like to want to go home and want to be back with your people. Yeah. And I think that's the only reason why Odo would even consider forgiving they, him. They connected on of sort of a level that's a, that's a little harder to, to understand, maybe. Yeah. But they like, are both supreme sort of exiles in a way. And from, so, from the villains. From the villains that, like, like oh, yeah, like, you were a, an Obsidian Order Cardassian. I'm yeah. the one of the the founders of the Dominion. Like like our people are like the the enemies of of all of our friends of of the entire show that we're on. Uh, <laughs> right. Yet we both miss them and wish we could go back to them. Yeah. Um. So it, it does make some sense, but yeah, it's like, man, this is the guy who he did not literally like torture him like physically like he wasn't cutting at pieces of him but he instigated the thing that that was essentially torture so he knew odo had a secret because because odo right. hadn't told anyone that like he actually does really want to go back to them you know we all saw him make that choice at the beginning of the season when he chooses not to rejoin them but here's the first time where he says like no i actually like really 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 want that and wish i could do that and right garrick like never tells that to anyone like he doesn't tell it to to anabrantain and the the romulan who's not really a romulan um, right. He doesn't tell that uh, in his report at the end. Yeah, no, he's um, he he's uh, he can keep the secrets when he when it's important. Mm. At, at first, I was I was starting to make a note while I was watching that I was like, oh, I kind of like this this Romulan seems pretty canny. He's uh, yeah. he caught on that Garrick is protecting Odo, and uh, you know, it's like, and then uh, he uh, turns out to be a founder. <laughs> And so. if if you rewatch this, you actually can see that he is looking out for Odo early on when he when he tells Tane like a uh, we we should bring Odo back with us to Romulus and you know like like he's he's trying to protect Odo in his own way. Yeah, it's, it's uh... a big thing with the founders. They're they're very like they they hate all the solids, but they they love each other and that the whole thing about no changeling has ever harmed another. Um. This reinforces that, and that makes the thing that happens at the end of the season even more of a big deal. Right on. In this one, we get to see uh, the big action is the Defiant coming into the rescue. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like it got to kick more ass than it's ever kicked in any previous appearance. Uh, it, like, shreds three ships, at least. Um uh, looking really cool doing it. <laughs> and that cool gets... move where it waits till like they're super close, like fifty meters before they fire. Yeah, it was dangerous. It's like we might we might get a little singed if we do that. Yeah, no, it looked cool when they fire it. It looks supremely impactful. It's always like a volley that that goes really fast and intense, and uh, it, it always it's it's like the equivalent of in boxing of like of like you know a bunch of hits in a row just like bam 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 on somebody and then they, they just like it almost always if they can if they can hit they can blow up a ship <laughs> um so that's just like how it visually reads so that was very cool to see um 
and uh, but uh, but man, yeah, I guess the the actual overall effects to the battle were that the fleets, at least maybe not the full fleets for the Romulans and the Cardassians, but their the fleets for their well, the Obsidian Order and Tal Shiar for their yeah for their you know intelligence agencies got decimated. To, to the point where they no longer really consider the Cardassians or Romulans a threat. The Colonel Lovak changeling tells yep. Odo and Garrick, he says, uh, after today, the only threats to us in the Alpha Quadrant are going to be the Federation and the Klingons. And then he says very ominously, but they're not going to be threats for much longer. So yeah. that's something that, that we kind of get into more in the rest of the season, and then especially in season four, what the Dominion has planned for the the Federation and the Klingons. I felt like this was a this the reason part of the reason this was such a satisfying two parter is again it started out seeming like it was a small episode about a mystery on the station. By the end, the two two major you know like there's been a huge battle. Uh, the 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 stakes have completely changed. The changelings and the founders have revealed themselves to be very clever and even, you know, in some ways even more dangerous than we thought. And like the whole chessboard has changed. Uh, and, you know, there's this, you know, on a character front, there's an interesting connection now between Garrick and Odo. Which, by the way, I really like that last conversation where you see Garrick looking at this kind of tarnished mirror and Odo is just kind of a, a reflection in it while they're talking. And I thought that was a yeah. cool sort of it, you know, had that. Mer- Suggested the murky distance between them and the kind of noirish kind of blurring of lines. And also, he's ashamed. He's ashamed. Like, look at Odo directly. Yeah, we rarely see Garrick vulnerable like that. You know, he's normally so on top of his shit. Yep. And that 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 final line from Garrick, where he says, "You know what? The sad thing is, I'm actually a really good tailor." Like, he <laughs> yeah. could he could just live a life as like plain simple Garrick, but no, like he wanted. He wanted to go back to be be the spy, to be part of the Obsidian Order so bad that he he was you know willing to to reunite with the man who who tried to have him killed. Um, the, I I think the the only other thing I have on this one is the I I just love the rivalry between Ducat and Garrick, and it it feels like anytime one of them has the opportunity to like uh go after the other one like they they never miss an opportunity and when when uh garrick is in the the, the good graces of of anabrantane again and and he's like okay like you'll you'll join me again and we'll run the obsidian order together and he tells him like oh yeah remember that gold ducat we i need him taken care of <laughs> like yeah. uh, garrick's never gonna forget that you know for for whatever reason they hate each other yeah yeah no he was um clearly uh ready for some some at least on some level to ready to jump back into a bit of a vengeful mode. <laughs> um, I was like, not sure how much Garrick was just, I thought initially like, Oh, he's playing along. He's running a long con on an Aubrey but it seems like it was all pretty sincere. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there, was there any con game that he was pulling in there other than that? He didn't want to kill Odo. Yeah, he didn't want to kill Odo, and we see him be being a little conflicted with, with like a uh, Mila, the the old uh, the right servant lady to a Nobrantain, where he's like really worried about her. And was, was he we, generally okay with the plan of just bombarding the founders into oblivion? Oh yeah, yeah, he was he he actually thought that was a good idea right yeah. from the beginning. <laughs> that Starfleet Admiral Todman was like, mm-hmm. I mean, 
you know, if it works, it's not like the worst case scenario. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And it it was a smart move, I guess, because, you know, if you do kill the founders, they said, like, the Jem'Hadar will die because they, they're dependent on, like, the drug, Ketracel White, yep. to live. So you would you would destroy the entire leadership and you would destroy the entire military in one strike if it had worked. Yep, it was a good plan uh, if it had not been uh, coerced by the very people uh, <laughs> that you were there trying to strike against. Um, all right, so let's get to let's go to a personal episode. Uh, yes, this is actually one of my favorites as a kid, and this is another one I have very strong memories of watching for the first time. Um, but season three, episode twenty-two, explorers. Cisco builds a replica of an eight hundred year old Bajoran spaceship, and tries to use it to prove that the Bajoran explorers could have made it to Cardassia without developing warp drive. Um, yeah, so th- this is the the father son adventure episode. It's a very wholesome episode. Also, in the opening scene, it introduces uh, the character Lita, who becomes a bigger recurring character, and uh, was uh, w- when we did Text Trek number one back five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the one that you asked uh, who who was my uh, what Star Trek character did I have like the the biggest crush on yep. uh, growing up watching Star Trek, and it, it, it was actually Lita Chase Masterson, uh, actress Glazer. Dabo girl Lita, right? Yeah, and in and, and this first scene, she's kind of co- comes off as like like this like uh like real dumb bimbo kind of like uh like oh doctor like you need to check out my cough, but like yeah. they, they they flesh her out, and make her a deeper character later. So try not to judge her too harshly based on this introduction. <laughs> this uh, this uh, episode is kind of in some ways what would be two B plots in other episodes just um, put together, and then there's because it also has the other one about like Bashir reconnecting with what his old academic rival elizabeth lens the actual first in the in the class yeah so i've seen picard stuck on a shuttle with wesley and stuff like that and i you know i I wasn't quite sure about it uh i I should have just kind of trusted in the writers because the actual conversation between uh jake and his dad are oh by the way he's this is he busts out the beard in this one too right yeah, this is the uh, introduction of bearded Cisco, and he will remain bearded for the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah, he 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 achieved Rikerdom, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, uh, the, the writing was just so good on it. I felt it was some of the most natural character writing on the show. The kind of bonding that they do over doing sort of something like physical and taxing, like actually, you know, the, the Solar Sailor actually has all this kind of neat detail where it, you know runs much like a real. Uh, ship and they they did all this detail work on the interior and and the exterior shots um usually solar sailors when they show up in movies and tv you you kind of get the idea real quick they're sailing on solar waves blah 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 but here they kind of showed you the work of it like running like like a true sailing ship um and so yeah they bond over it and and they have all these interesting conversations along the way because they've kind of got nothing but time uh at, at you know here and there when they're not working yeah and we get more of like jake you know wanting to be a writer and it, it builds on what they set up before so it strikes me that jake has actually over the course of time kind of hidden a number of things from his dad he hid that he had was writing poetry that he was apparently a hustler at this uh was it a card game yeah dom jot it's like playing pool oh right that's what the, those nausicans played when they uh stabbed young picard in the in the chest oh, nice 
He hid from his dad that he didn't want to go to Starfleet, and he also hid from his dad that he didn't um, uh, that that he had applied for a writing fellowship and 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 gotten it, which he tells him in this one. So although like at this point. Cisco is beginning to come around to it and he's moving forward and he is almost always very good about things. But it is interesting that uh, that Jake had to kind of sidestep him a lot. I think in some ways it's kind of normal teen stuff that you kind of have to start figuring things out for yourself. And also there's a lot of indecision involved and in not knowing if you're, you know, any, you know, whatever you're doing, which might define your whole adult life and career and all that, if it's a good idea or not. I liked when he's talking about putting off the fellowship for a year and and Cisco is like, what would be different in a year? And he's like, I don't know, but maybe something maybe something would, though. And it's clear that it's because he, you know, you don't sometimes you don't want to make a decision, you know, <laughs> I thought you, it was clear you, that they had Ciroc Lofton signed for one more season, but they weren't sure after season four. <laughs> is that right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, don't know I mean, was I was going to say, like, yeah, like, for it works, though, for the character thing. You know, it works for him trying to spend more time with his girlfriend, who he only sees once in a blue moon, spend more time with his dad. I mean, that was the big thing in this, is that he kind of reveals that he's worried about his dad, that him, uh, being alone. And, you know, Cisco's almost immediately like, hey, you shouldn't worry about that. But, you know, it's it's super sweet that he did. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and and they probably have like this bond you know from like losing jennifer so like yeah. they, they've they've probably and and you know having to like be a military family and like move from like base to base and stuff and you know like they're probably like the only thing that's like consistent in each other's lives and so i think that right. is that is really sweet that he would like be worried about like yeah what if i'm gone like my dad won't have anyone like maybe maybe i can get him this girlfriend this freighter captain cassidy yates who we will see uh, more yeah. of going forward. Uh, they just kind of introduce her here. We don't see her. Yeah, Jake uh, trying to give his dad romantic advice was uh, <laughs> was pretty pretty funny. <laughs> I like seeing Cisco's surprise. He where he does moments where he's like, "What?" <laughs> it's always a good time. Uh, always a good time for me. And Jake Jake pulling his leg about like uh, maybe he's like a Maquis member when he's like, "I can't talk about it." And he's like, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was some of that was that was one of my favorite bits in it because of the kind of rapport that they had and the way it kind of drifted away from how sometimes I feel like you know Trek's writing on interpersonal stuff like that can feel a little bit a little dry or just a little lacking in nuance like people don't joke around quite the way that feels more human they they feel a little stiff sometimes and and I felt like they don't feel stiff they kind of even the sort of physicality that I think Avery Brooks kind of brings to it where, you know, he hugs a lot. He'll kiss his son. He's um, he's he gets in kind of close for intimate things. And I think it's that's his theater background as part of that. Um, but their their bond seems really real in it. So I, mm -hmm. I, I ended up loving all the scenes on the on the, the flyer. And, um, do you want to know why? Jake Sisko works better than Wesley Crusher and is a better character than Wesley Crusher. What's that? It's a big part of it is that they don't try to force Jake into every episode, into every story. Like we need to give him like an important thing to do. Like he's not in a lot of episodes uh, and you know, like, like whenever they do show Jake, they're able to make it a little bit more meaningful. And I think he is a much more compelling character than uh, Wesley Crusher who like, I, I like Wesley. I like Will Wheaton. But I prefer right. watching Jake, and Jake's the one that resonated with me a lot more, uh, you know, growing up. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And like, 
honestly, few people can quite identify with a prodigy kid. Uh, that's just going to be, by definition, it's a small percentage of people. Um, and But almost anybody can identify with somebody who's kind of like <laughs> – likes their parent but sometimes gets in arguments with them who might have like a kind of dodgy friend that the parent doesn't approve of uh but whose maybe intentions are sometimes better than the parent thinks at times and you know like this one where he's like teaching nog to read and now nog is like freaking applying to starfleet um so so yeah it just felt more real there 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 is a relatableness to it and also i think honestly they they let them the, the, i think the writing is just better you know they just had better writing uh you they're, they're, so when he bonds with with his dad it's better than in general than i think than when wes was bonding with his mom and we get the cool uh, reveal that like oh yeah ancient bajorans actually did go to Cardassia before Cardassians went to Bajor. Even you're the gold Ducat tried to like talk them out of like, Oh, like this might be dangerous. Yeah. This might be da- dangerous. Benjamin, maybe you shouldn't do this. But then at the end, he's gotta be like, Oh yeah, actually like we, we knew about this. We, we just discovered wink. wink yeah. He's the, like, uh, what fortuitous timing. Um, yeah, the, the Cardassians are pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> by the way, early on, I was like, is this supposed to be analogous their journey and the, the voyage to almost like, like, you know, the idea that, like, the Egyptians had, you know, spaceships and stuff like that, that, you know, that, you know, like, kind of far-fetched, uh, fringy theory, stuff like that. But it feels more like they were kind of, this was like, yeah, Leif Erikson visited the New World, and Aboriginal cultures can have amazing technology, and, you know, that we sometimes downplay or try and find mm-hmm. sci-fi explanations for because we're just like, oh, how could such primitive people do this? Uh, when, in fact, people have always been, like, really really intelligent and just like wildly innovative uh so 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 yes of course the ancient bajorans would have been and 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 i really liked that um it's funny because uh the <laughs> at the end the cardassians like show fire off some fi- like space fireworks for them yeah and, like, it's kind of cheesy, because, like, I don't know if they would have gone that far. Well, they have that peace treaty. They need, like, the good PR. Right. I was trying to decide on their end, but, like, I still, like, almost had, like, my heart in my throat watching, you know, because I was so happy for Jake and, and his dad. And I was like, they deserved it, and they, uh, you know, whatever the reasoning, they had their moment. Great episode. Uh, B-plot was just okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did like seeing uh, Bashir and O'Brien drunk. Oh, yeah. You know what bothers me in that, though, is the, the song they're singing in Jerusalem. Yeah. It's like the super, like, like the British Empire is the greatest thing in all of God's kingdom. And we should all... Oh. It's, like, it's really weird to have, like, a Irishman and a Sudanese guy, like, singing that. But yeah. it's Palomini's oh. choice, I learned. This bothered me for a long time, but then I learned, like... They were actually going to use, like, some other song, and they couldn't get the rights to it or something. Oh. And then Colomini was like, well, the Brits conquered both of our countries. We'd probably both know Jerusalem. <laughs> so he oh, suggested wow. that. Interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I think my favorite part was <laughs> that was when um, uh, O'Brien tells him, is trying to be nice in the kind of crusty way only he can and explain he doesn't hate him anymore. Well, no, he's trying to say, like, people either love you or hate you, and I don't hate you anymore. He didn't want to say, like, and I love you, but yeah. he said, like, and I don't hate you. He's like, you. I definitely don't hate you anymore. 
Uh, yeah, I was cracking up over that. That was the best part about it. Yeah, the the last thing that I have to add is um, Cisco is a builder. He's mm-hmm. like it's ironic. This episode's called Explorers, but he's not the explorer that Kirk and Picard were. Yeah, he doesn't like true. like go from place to place. Cisco likes likes to like build. You know, he talks about like yeah. or Dax talks about like. Oh, like, I remember when you were building that nursery when you and Jennifer decided to have a baby. And, like, here, like, we see him, like, building the the um, solar sailor thing. And uh, he's he uh, like his presence on Deep Space Nine is he's like, you know, building uh, a, 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 an established station there. Um, right. And o- arguably, in, in a broader seasons. sense, he's trying to build or rebuild uh, Bajor. And him um, over the course of the show. He he gets more and more interested in in like the Bajoran culture and 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 more and more like starts to become like a kind of a, a part of Bajor. I thought that was a really cool thing. This is I, I like this better, I guess, than the one with him in a prophecy, where he's feel he's starting to feel a connection to these guys yeah. for sure. All right, well let's uh, ride some uh, tachyons away from Bajor and over to Ferenginar. And talk about Season 3, Episode 23, Family Business. Quark's mother violates Ferengi law by earning profit. So we get to meet Moogie. Uh, Ishka is introduced in this episode. Um, I, I never thought I'd see a scene on Star Trek where a character is encouraging his mother to take her clothes off. Yeah, that bothers me. That's very uncomfortable to watch. It is uh, uncomfortable. I did laugh when uh, when it happens, and because she's like better, and he's like much. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous at that point. But <laughs> boy, did they lean into uh, the Ferengi life. Is this the most that we have seen of uh, like Ferenginar? Is this we've never we've been, been to Ferenginar before? This is the first time okay. they ever go there. I wonder. I was wondering why they made it raining throughout this. It's always the, it always rains. They have in the Ferengi language. They have like forty seven thousand different words for raining. Had that come up before, or does that come up in in the future? I don't remember when they mentioned that for the first time. Hmm. Uh, so uh, this is another Ferengi episode that's a little bit uh, until the final act. I'm not particularly on board. It it's too goofy. There's too much treated as tongue-in-cheek, like, just look look at how backwards they are. Look what's normal to them. When, in fact, you know, it's like, if treated seriously, this is like almost like a Handmaid's Tale or something like that. Until it gets to the reconciliation phase. Until Rom yells at both of them and kind of shows his merit. And until Quark reins his stuff in, I had a bit of a tough time with it. Boy, does does Rom really get a lot of growth in season three? For sure. Uh, yeah, he's like almost regularly kind of at least standing up for his kid and standing up for family, I guess, in, in a broader sense, his, for the mother or or for his son. Uh, <laughs> it seems like his own self-esteem is like uh, bottomed out, but um, but maybe on the rise as he finds out that he can he can stand up to Quark. <laughs> um, uh, but we we get multiple recurring characters introduced in this episode we get ishka who we'll see more of uh we get brunt liquidator brunt the fca oh good i I wouldn't mind seeing him again and and that's jeffrey combs that's that's, that's one of the Uh, big jeffrey combs characters okay um so yeah well he's he's a good recurring uh foil for quark and i i assume cassidy yates uh will recur 
Uh, actually, yes. I think I've seen her in at least one subsequent episode. The the freighter pilot that was uh, Jake was setting up uh, his dad with. Another nice bit of continuity. What I found is that mentally she was almost too close to Jennifer. The voices weren't quite the same, and not the appearance not that close, but 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 close enough that I, I found her immediately boring. <laughs> she was okay. You do, but they have that cool bonding moment over baseball. I did like that. There's that that wonderful turn on their date when she's talking about her brother hurt himself doing something called sliding into second. And then you see Cisco kind of do a double take. He's like, kind of lights up sliding into second. Like, you know what baseball is? And they both nerd out over baseball. And then, and Sestus three, where she's from, uh, that, that's the, the, the planet in arena that was like contested against the Gorn in the original series. They established there's a Pike city. So there's a city named after Christopher Pike star of star Trek, strange new worlds coming up soon. So that's very uh, cool. That's cool. I did like uh, some of the world building on Ferenginar, like the constant bribery everywhere. You you can't do anything without paying, you know, like a stripper or two of latinum for it. Uh, yeah, you can't like, sit in a it, chair. You can't use an elevator. We had seen the the woman who impersonated a Ferengi, uh, a male yeah. Ferengi Pell. before, right? And um, it's it was just a little. It's, this has continued that same sort of notion of like, hey. I can be just as good an exploiter as the men. And while that certainly makes sense as a story from a Ferengi perspective, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more to the rebellion than just joining them at doing something in their kind of atrocious society. <laughs> you know, I'm just as good a capitalist as you. So it was a little sad. The best scene I thought was when she kind of told him the truth about his dad and you were like, what he thought had been all these insults, you know, about his dad having a bad sense for business. They they don't go deeper on this. I kind of wish they had. But basically she was saying, like, hey, the business isn't everything. He was he knew family. And that's what and so does Rom. And that that's what's great about them. And, you know, that's not uh, that that is a bigger story there. And I kind of wish that there had been a little bit less time spent on, you know, the the wackiness of Ferengi society uh, and more time spent on subverting it, I yeah. suppose. Realistically, it's not like you would expect for major changes to just kind of happen out of nowhere. So, I like the establishment of their family. That uh, Keldar, the father, was he was like Rom. He was like uh, probably like kind of dumb, but you know, like well-meaning and really cared about family. It was like a like very loving father and husband. It sounds like. Yep. And then, uh, whereas Ishka is a lot more like Quark, and she's like very smart and uh, a bit uh, devious. Right, right. To the point where even when she seems to have, you know, <laughs> given up something, she t- by no means has at the, uh, given yeah. up everything. <laughs> she's like, I just, I just know to hide it better now. And she's like, I have, I have my money hidden so good. I'll be lucky if I can find it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I kind of like that. It's, that it's Rom who gets to be on the inside with that. Uh, not Quark. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, he would, freak out if, if he was the one who knew about it yep yeah it's always good to see rom get one up on quark which uh it's it's very satisfying when we see it uh do you want to go on to uh season three episode 24 yeah yeah let's let's get to uh let's go to bajor shakar which uh i always like to say shakar and like a pirate voice i don't know why that was an inside joke between me and a roommate i used to have when we would watch deep space nine 
anytime like they would say like the word shakar like mm-hmm. one of like we would both just yell like shakar like i don't i don't know how that started <laughs> they don't even it, like, say it, it that way on the show but <laughs> i know it's just <laughs> i know how in jokes form that <laughs> yeah uh it's just, thanks uh, for ruining it now I, now i'm gonna hear it well you're welcome kira's old resistance leaders refusal to return some farming equipment to the bajoran government nearly starts a civil war so uh yeah this this one we have uh kai win is now in charge of the whole planet the first minister has died the uh, mm-hmm. provisional government has selected kai win to uh take the office there's about to be an election and no one is running against her and that's kind of a uh, worst case scenario for Bajor because she is a uh, despicable, terrible person. When he actually said that she'd been appointed first minister, I'm like, I had to, I, out loud, uh, I'm watching it and I just go, fuck. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those moments. Kai Wynn is a terrible, terrible person. Like really one of the best and like worst, most loathsome villains on Star Trek. She does the kind of thing where she's kind of openly like, treacly sweet in a way that like i think i once upon a time maybe in the pre-trump era would have thought was like well people will see through those lies you can't just like say oh my child all the time and just be for and and be so like awful about it but actually people do that all the time not just trump it's like lots of skeevy religious leaders lots of skeevy, skeevy political leaders they put on this like show that seems so farcical if you see through it but to their believers, it's just like, oh, no, she's a great person, you know? <laughs> and so, like, but she's especially despicable for that. Uh, the way she, at some point when uh, she, uh, she saw that Kira's morning Vedic burial, and she says something like, oh, I would have thought that you would have known this about him. I guess you didn't know him as well as you thought. Oh, man. That yeah, and, like, she does it just to be a bitch. Like, she does that, like, knowing it's going to cut deep. Yep. It's just like a power move. It's just like, 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 look, look at all this power and dominance I have over you. Yeah. It's, 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 it's terrible. It's like a, like I'm watching it and I'm just like, oh my God, I hate this. When Kira at some point actually just says what I, what I was thinking, the only thing she cares about is her own power. Why can't people see that? And that is the, the biggest thing is just, I wish people could see, had a better sense of like when people are power mongering, you know, I wish there was a, a meter over their head for, for in case it's not obvious, but, but then Odo says one of the prices of giving people freedom of choice is that sometimes they make the wrong choice. Um, so thanks for yeah. that uplifting story, Odo. <laughs> and, and Odo, Odo also like, uh, you know, mentions like, like that, or, or reminds us as the audience that Kira, you know, blames Kai Wen for the death of Beryl. So keep that in mind that like like uh, the, right. the guy that she was in love with is dead at, basically at like at Kai Wen's hands or at least from Kira's perspective. Right, and I I think it's a reasonable perspective. They, sure. um, you know, I was talking about how Deep Space Nine has like twists and turns and endings that are are, are particularly satisfying to me sometimes, and so this one I kind of there was an early season episode where. What is it? She's got to, like, kick that crusty old bastard off of his planet. Off of the that, moon. Yeah. Yeah, off of the moon. And it's kind of a just a so-so episode. Um, I kind of, in my head, was expecting a little bit more something like that, uh, where, you know, we see her say, sorry, it sucks, but for the greater good, which there is a greater good at work here, which is, like, the 
uh, if he gives up the farming equipment, then they can maybe get a badass crop this season, and then they are more protractive as prospective clients for the Federation, blah, blah, blah. That's certainly the case that Kai Wynn has made, even if she's doing it for personal power. But uh, I loved when <laughs> it does not take too much for Kira to basically join his rebellion. Yeah, well, uh, that was, that was the like the guy that she served with before right, right. but i think they've they've mentioned on the show prior to this they, they say she was part of the shakar resistance cell oh so. nice so that was like he, his name was even out there yeah uh, i liked him and i liked the other the other resistance fighters that we see oh uh, i love um i love pharrell and uh pharrell. I, I think the woman's name is uh, uh lupaza he but, tells but a great pharrell... story about having lost his arm yeah uh when he was trying to liberate them, like, or like from an, you know, prison camp or something. And that he swore he'd give his life up. And then he said that, uh, because he only lost an arm in it, the prophets only took an arm from him. He felt like it would be ungrateful to ever have it like replaced because they still gave him his life. And I was like, Oh God, that's such a good story. It's such a good incidental character that I would see why, you know, Kira, you know, especially over drinks and stuff with these guys would be like, I am not going to give them up to Kai Wynn. And I think it's realistic that in, like, this, you know, the the Cardassians have pulled out. There's a power vacuum. So they have, like, this very unstable provisional government. And, like, there is a fear of, like, you know, infighting. Like, hey, we've all been, like, a bunch of, like, uh, you know, terrorist freedom fighters all our lives. So, like, yeah. this isn't new for us. Like, we actually got pretty good at it. Um, but I, so I like, like, the the standoff. It was the, uh, a lot of tension and they they talked to that colonel that was also uh, a big part of the resistance. He he performed the first off world raid against the Cardassians, so yeah. that gives him some some. They're ultimately being hunted by someone who is both honorable, um, though we don't quite know that until it's important, um, mm-hmm. and good, like good at what he does. Um, and they're good at what they do, but it's like going to be a tough fight. And they're all there. There's a bit where they're like. None, they kind of don't want to like do it again. They're tired. They're a little older than they used to be, and they don't want another life on the run again, which is very yeah, understandable. Well, I, I love that that they come together. You, you, like like uh. the fear the fear of them like you know being in a shootout with each other is what makes them decide to like come together, and they come up with a way to to one up. Uh, yeah, it was the win. best ending of all time. I loved it. <laughs> um, they they tease very cruelly tease that it's all going to go wrong when there's like a few stray shots fired during their ceasefire, and and I was like, oh, I've seen this happen before. It's going to cut to slow motion. We're going to see some like hear some sad music, and we're going to like later be like, you know, in the and you know in war, everyone is a victim or whatever, you know, and there are no right. There's no right side. Um, but instead they, it was just a scare. They managed to hold the fragile piece and they, they, yeah, they turn on Kai Wynn, uh, and put this, uh, honorable resistance leader up and force her to even endorse him. That was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> she and has to throw out a statement of support. Or else, or else they'll reveal how terrible she was. It was the first time since like, she really started plaguing them. That I felt like Kira got to like, you know, get her one up on her, and I I mm. know she ain't done yet, but it's not where I expected things to be when the episode started. Uh, so it was like an incredibly satisfying ending. I, I I like Shakar. I actually like him more than Barile. So I kind of 
enjoy season three, like like killing Beryl and making room for Shakar to be the, the new likable dude to keep Kai Wen in check. Yeah, um, no, I think that's reasonable. He was, a, he was, Beryl is a good character, but a little bit flat. Yeah, you know, a little they boring. Just, yeah. Shakar is a little bit more, uh, he's a little bit more exciting. Like, I feel like Shakar could have been like, he could have been like a, a Star Trek captain. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He kind of has that quality to him. There, yeah, there's I, the B story with the, the dart tournament also. I don't know if you have anything to say on, on that when, when O'Brien is in the zone. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't have any strong feelings on it. It was kind of fun to watch. I, I I wasn't quite sure when his arm gives out. Like I'm like, wait, is this a is this a gag or is this the real? Fakest looking shoulder injury, which it does like you don't even like use your shoulder to you know shoot darts. It's like more like the elbow and the wrist. So yeah. when he reaches back for the drink from Quark, I hate that. That's so dumb and fake looking. But I like the other stuff. About, I like that it opens with O'Brien and Cisco. You know, smiling shooting darts together like i like that like cisco's like that chummy that he'll like go go down to the bar and hang out with with chief o'brien um i like the uh that it was 40 the the next day would have been his 47th straight victory um (laughs) uh, and i i like that smug vulcan at the end who's like like no the rules clearly state like if you step away from the line like like who the hell reads the rules of darts you know well okay a vulcan would and i kind of like it and i like that this vulcan was like I don't know, maybe a little bit of a shark in his own way, you know, because <laughs> uh, I feel like the Vulcans need to have some fun like that. Spock did. Spock knew how to, like, kind of be a little bit of a prick sometimes. Uh, and uh, it's kind of fun when the Vulcans have attitude. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're familiar with TOS, that that uh, scene feels very, very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about uh, the second to last one we have. Um, episode 25 facets Jadzia Dax performs the Trill Ziantara ritual which allows her to meet previous Dax hosts while Nog applies to Starfleet uh, so this episode there's actually not a lot that happens in it but I, I, I like the stuff that does happen it's interesting a lot of Curzon stuff this is basically the, the Curzon Dax Odo hybrid uh, episode uh, but uh, Dave what do you think about this one I liked it. Um, it's a uh, kind of character episode I like. Um, it's, you know, um, I, I read a little behind the scenes stuff and how they were, they tried different ways of like Dax was, uh, uh, was it Terry, Terry Farrell? Is that the actress? Yeah. yeah. She was going to at one point portray all the different personalities and they would exist through her. Anyway, after they worked it over a while, they came up with this notion that it would be embodied in the other characters which is super fun. It's like a little bit of a almost like TOS kind of idea. Like, you know, like, oh, I don't know if I believe that that would happen. But, like, it's so fun that once it's happened, I'm like, oh, this was clearly the right way to go. Uh, they get to do just some fun stuff, playing characters playing against type, like Quark, the maternal one, talking about suckling a baby at his breast. That's so funny. I love that. Um <laughs> And then you get some serious stuff like scary Cisco as the as the as her the murderous um, musician, Duran. murderous musician host, and then um, and then obviously the, the the core story of her, you know, her issues with Curzon, who's you know this charismatic but but a little little bit flim flammy guy who that Cisco has to kind of call out in this, and then um, the the Nog going through his application uh, was 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 really good too. 
Um, that opening scene of him in the runabout, and then the computer is like, Cardassian ships closing in, and, and, and then you see uh, Jake just, like, appear in in front of the, the windshield <laughs> of the runabout. Yeah. They, <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, I guess they, they – I don't know if they had ever quite done it like that, um, but it was it was a fun bit. Uh, and it was funny because, of course, it inverted the usual thing. Nog is like, hey, I'm trying to do something serious here. And he's like, I don't got time for playing around with you, Jake. Um, I yeah, noticed there's – Nog oh, becomes more mature. He becomes more mature and a little bit more kind of like 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 stuck up by the book guy than Jake. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a, a role reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah, that's kind of a, a very obvious kind of way to flip it is to, yeah, have Jake trying to clown around while he's trying to do something serious. I love when they're at the bar afterwards and Nog is like, it, it, like Quark is like getting on Nog's case for it. And then he's like, he's like, there's no profit in Starfleet. And then Nog kind of <laughs> throws, uh, Jake under the bus and he's like, uncle, he wants to be a writer. There's no profit in that. <laughs> and, yeah. No, like the, the, Okay. Writer Jake, there's a bunch of times in Deep Space Nine where, like, you can tell, like, the writers of the episodes are, like, commentating on on being a writer through Jake. Writers do love to talk about themselves. They especially love to talk about how they're, like, underpaid and unloved. And, and, like, they're not wrong, but it is, it it, it cracked me up in this case. Um, And I also like that Quark, uh, his one idea where you could make a profit off of writing was to get Jake and Nog to write Hollow Sweet porn basically yeah like why don't you boys do something uh you know good and profitable like make porn (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's like Pornhub is hiring (laughs) he even he even offers like i'll put up the latinum for your first program like you two run off and and make a proposal and i'll put up the latinum for it which i guess coming from quark is probably like a a vote of confidence because he's not the guy who's going to invest in a what he thinks (laughs) is a bad investment that's right he just um it's just like go with something that's a known profit. <laughs> you want to know something um, really cool about this episode, though? That yeah. some little behind the scenes thing that 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 not many people are going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But uh, our our friend uh, Larry Nemechek, who has appeared on Text Trek, um, yeah, he was actually called on by the writers of this episode uh, at, at the the last minute when they were trying to rewrite the script to tell them who, what all Dax host lore had been established in earlier episodes because larry was watching this like keeping notes okay like in this episode jadzia says she's been a mother this many times and a father that many times and she she mentioned you know uh tobin uh and like this about him and then you know this other thing about uh some other host and so he was able to like give all of that stuff to them and they were able to keep all of the the continuity straight Uh, so so thank the prophets for larry yeah yeah great great job on it um I, I thought you were going to mention that because, like, later at some point in it, they drink Tranya, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. shit, it's this stuff from the Corbomite maneuver. <laughs> that's a that's a deep cut. Yeah, um, Curzon liked uh, Tranya, apparently. What did you think of uh, getting to actually see Curzon? So it's or interesting. Kind of I, I liked I, – I, overall, I liked him. I thought he was maybe a little cartoonish, and I, and I thought it was an interesting notion that he was – he and Odo sort of fused a little bit uh, yeah. so that – I thought that created a kind of a realistic reason why the what would kind of be revealed to be personal reasons why he might not want to go back into Dax's or Jedzia's head um, would also would be blurred and might have a you know seem believable because Odo seemed to want it too. 
Um, and then so Jadzia would be like, oh, I don't, maybe, maybe he's right. Uh, and I like the sort of moral ambiguity of that. Um, I think I read that that some of the writers maybe weren't quite satisfied with how Curzon was portrayed, that he was supposed to be more of a, you know, raconteur and like kind of a, a little more sophisticated, not like, hey, 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 another round. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's it was within the ballpark of sort of what I was expecting of Curzon based on all the stories about him. Yeah, so, I feel like we know so much about Curzon before this without ever seeing him yeah uh, but but just the way that he's described by by cisco and by jadzia uh it, it, like he feels like a real personality type like like when they say when cisco is saying like yeah he was actually you know kind of selfish and uh very manipulative uh but he was so charming that people let him get away with that and i feel like that's like a, a real personality type yeah totally um, um it's it's in some ways it's 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 a, it's a personality type that Star Trek usually only does as supporting characters. They don't tend to like to do it as a central character because, yeah, and, and a lot of times those those people can be like kind of a holes in in real life. Um, but 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 like yeah, he walked this line, and I I loved when Cisco was describing it. I also loved when um like Dax is really kind of um she, she she's really torn over it all and like whether. Uh, she didn't. She didn't know if she wanted to ask him uh, about why he what rejected her and then allowed her back into the uh, the candidate program for the Trill program. And she says like, "What if what if he tells me something I don't want to hear?" And then Cisco like is like sort of struggling for the words to comfort her, and she's just like, "I have to go." And then she kind of walks away with no resolution. I like that the episode sort of lingered on the kind of discomfort and the. I don't know that inability to quite pin down the right, uh, the obvious choice. Sometimes mm. Star Trek will have Guinan or somebody show up and drop some pearls of wisdom, and it's like, oh, that's obviously the right thing to do. And uh, I guess Cisco ultimately does in this one, but I guess the road there was a little bit harder, and that felt a little bit more real to me. So I liked that. Yeah, and 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 Dax is or Jadzia is the one who like talks him into like, uh, you know, give, giving the the Curzon memories back to she her says, I, there's a there's a great line that she has where she's talking to him and she says something along the lines of i feel like i don't have your respect and i worry that when we rejoin i won't respect myself um and i thought that was a really cool and I, a cool idea that's very unique to the trill uh to the to the symbiont life. Yeah. yeah um the the idea though of of Curzon, who I guess was like a very effective dude at like the work that he did, you know, he he was very much kind of a, a work hard, play hard type. Yeah. Um. I I I think that he was this real effective diplomat, and you know, earned like the respect of the Klingons, and was able to help usher in that era of peace with like the Federation and the Klingons. And but at the same time, you know, he's also like very self-indulgent and wants to like drink and party and stay up late and get laid and have a good time and i that that type of personality i think they 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 have they're they're so used to okay when i see something when i want something i can make i I will do what needs to be done i'll put in the work to make it happen that it's very hard for them to uh be told no like you can't have or you know like with dax like he really he you know really wanted her and you know he's he probably had like some Woody Allen type, like the heart wants what the heart wants type of uh, yeah. look at, uh, view on it. 
Um, and and then here when he's like, you know, what? it's uh fun to to be in this changeling body. This is pretty cool. I'm gonna go be fu- uh this weird merged with Odo dude and and have fun adventures and do fun shit. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's hard for him to be like, no, you can't do that. You're gonna have to like not get the thing that you want in this situation. Yeah, uh, that was. You know, uh, Jed Z is a character that, uh, of all of the kind of core characters, she's still the one that I sort of, in some ways, feel the most distanced from, because she's always kind of presented as very capable, whether she's kind of doing science officer stuff or whether she's kind of like gambling with the Ferengi. So I think I needed to see, I, I always like to see some vulnerability in her, makes her feel sort of more nuanced to me. And and I'd like to see her take the stand with Curzon who really did fuck up in a huge way. He like basically kicked her out of the program, could have completely destroyed her life, you know, kind of, kind of yeah. move. Um, so he, he needed to get, he needed to get a, his ass kicked for that. Of course but, we get the, uh, the Rom and, and Quark stuff too, where he's like, uh, when, when, when Rom figures out that Quark cheated Nog on the, on the test. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of doing something really terrible, like, <laughs> Quark almost destroyed Nog's career uh, there. Um, uh, so yes, this is another great Rom moment. He's, if I'm not mistaken, he basically says, "If you do that again, I will burn your bar to the ground." Yeah, when, when he when he's yelling at him, when he says, "Like, there's nothing more important to me than my my son's happiness, and if you ever do anything to hurt him again, I'll burn the bar down to the ground." <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I I also liked seeing. Uh, Avery Brooks play like Hannibal Lecter style uh, <laughs> when he was doing the uh, mad musician guy and and I like that the musician kind of was working like Lecter with the truth he was calling out Jedzia's self-doubt and basically saying yeah. that she wasn't good enough uh, that only a handful of the hosts had been worthy and she wasn't one of them I was like oh man those are some some he's dangerous even just with the words that was cool uh and then dangerous physically too um a little scary to know you got that running around inside you well you'll be pleased to know that we will get even more joran in the future nice let's close this thing out with the season three finale the adversary a Federation ambassador brings newly promoted Captain Sisko orders to take the Defiant on a patrol of the Zenkethi border, where a destabilizing coup has just taken place. But everything is not as it seems. These synopses lie a lot, don't they? They're like, uh, like there, there was a coup. It's like actually there wasn't a coup. But no, I'm glad they do. I'm glad like synopses don't try to like spoil. <laughs> yeah, things. I, I, um, I, I do kind of notice that in in things like. Uh, but I, I sort of appreciate it when they don't spoil the big reveals. Like saying something like, there are secrets yet to uncover, or everything is not as it seems. Uh, that That's a d- reasonable way to do it. Yeah. This was the changeling loose on the Defiant, about to start a war. It just, this whole episode, I feel like it's 45 minutes of showing what one changeling can do if they just cut loose. Um, right. And then that, that uh, crazy... Uh, hard-hitting reveal at the end uh, just like those few words that Odo utters what what the oh, changing yeah. revealed to him you're too late we are everywhere those five words what's creepy is that he could be lying <laughs> and just be saying it to stir things up or like to increase paranoia and that would work too yeah just but... that lie is going to destabilize the federation if it was a lie yeah 
this isn't in some ways this is this feels a little bit like the fulfillment of the possibilities of the old tng conspiracy episode uh which was some neat ideas that they just never followed through on um um so yeah this this one uh, to me as uh, the more it went on i was like this is a tribute to john carpenter's the thing even right down to some very specific scenes in it some of the most famous scenes in the movie uh they 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 addressed but yeah. it's it's uh it's 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 one of those ones where i think it's well done because it you know it, the whole episode is not like that just some elements of it um so but but starting at the beginning when cisco gets his uh, captain's pips uh and jake pins them on that was another case where i was kind of a little emotional watching it i was like just just to see you know that the son got to to pin them on his dad and all that was such a cool thing i don't like when they sing for he's a jolly good fellow that is so lame i would be disappointed if 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 like all of my friends are like celebrating something i did and y'all started <laughs> singing uh that i'm a jolly good fellow i'd be so disappointed that's like, this is that the lamest is some... fucking shit some crappy british <laughs> weak sauce there uh yeah, that's so, that boring part of starfleet it was i i would only accept that from tng <laughs> yeah that's the uh that's the uh let's go listen to data read poetry in 10 forward after i shifted <laughs> yes. type of hip of, hip of hurrah yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but the actual the actual scene uh the the scene itself was good and i was super happy to see it and obviously it establishes Cisco as, you know, among the captains of Trek now so that people can... Which was a problem. They they said that Iris Stephen Bear said that people didn't seem to treat uh, Cisco with the same respect they treated Kirk and uh, yeah. Picard because he was just like a commander. And he was like, like, no, like we need to show like this guy is a, a captain. And I think the reason why he was a commander from the beginning is because there's this idea, I think... I think sometimes, like, they're scared to confuse audiences that might not understand, like, there's a captain rank, but there's also a captain position, where, like, you're actually, like, a captain of a ship, but you could be, right. like, your rank could be captain, and you have, like, an entirely different job. Uh, the, the TOS movies didn't care about that, because uh, Spock and Scotty are both captains, but they're not captains of the ship, you know, they're, like, a, a the chief engineer and the first officer, but whatever, like, they don't want to confuse people like that, so the idea was, like, Okay, we'll have, like, commanders command space stations. But uh, somebody says, hey, people don't join Starfleet to be a commander or to be this or that. They join to be a captain. And it kind of speaks to the mystique that the captain role has taken on over all the different uh, shows because that is so spotlighted. It You know, it is imbued with all this romance from Trek. Let's get into the, the main plot. They're uh, they're going into a Zenkethi space, the Zenkethi being a species we've we've never heard of before but uh, apparently they, there is some war between the zinkethi and the federation yeah. that they're, they're i was like that sounds with... like kazinti to me and i half wondered if it was like at one point gonna be kazinti i i wish that it was just kazinti because there was supposed to be like a bunch of wars with them it did feel a little bit weird because i was like oh this is the season finale and yet they're going to like try and like you know help maybe quell uh, a coup d'etat for an alien race i've never heard of like it feels a little like I feel like there must be something more, and there there was something more to it, but they they slightly tipped their hand by not being able to use a somewhat more known trek species. There's also a um a species that the Federation I guess was at war with from the episode uh, Suddenly Human of the Next Generation. So I just like to believe that like those people 
and like the Cardassians who the Federation was at war with and like the Zinkethi. Like that just like all happened at the same time because I don't want there to be just like, oh yeah, the Federation's been at war with everyone. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of lame. Um, yeah. So I, I just headcanon like all that stuff happened at the same time. There's that makes like, sense hey, to me. everyone's attacking the Federation. I might as well attack too. <laughs> um, you know, so but but like once they get out there, uh, the the big reveal, of course, is that one of them is a is a changeling and is looking to. There, there is nothing going on here. You know, we'll eventually find out. There is no coup, but they're going to start a war. You know, this is another yeah. this is another move to put the federation and checkmate uh to remove them from the board uh as a threat to the uh to the founders uh to the dominion and uh and then the rest of the episode is kind of a pure suspense thing as they try to stop him because he's these like locked ships controls uh basically and they've got to find a way to overcome that technological thing or capture him and make him do it before they cross over into uh zenkethi space and start a war um I thought it was interesting that Odo mentions in the episode that a he's never fired a uh, like a phaser or a gun and he's never killed anyone. I was like, uh, oh, for a guy who's kind of Machiavellian and a little fashy at times, that's very Andy Griffith. Yeah, and uh, as not only that, but like no changeling has ever harmed another changeling until this right. episode. It's like the first like changeling on changeling murder in their history. Yeah, well, you know, when someone is uh, trying to start a war so that they can take over uh like more easily take over a whole sector of space they might deserve to die no no and i'm totally with odo 100 percent. but what makes it even more complicated is that this changeling died because it didn't you know flee it would it would it it was like odo come with me like like right. come back with us join us and because it like stuck its neck out for that it stings especially hard yeah and they made its death gruesome, you know? Yeah, that warp core radiation will really fuck you up. I um, heard it was, by the way, a pretty special... That was a pretty intense special effects sequence that they had to film there. And I believe it. You know, it's pretty pretty intense CG for the time and uh, and all that. You said you wanted to see more of the Defiant way back when we started Season 3. You said you wanted to see the, more of the mm -hmm. interior. Uh, we get a lot of it here. Yeah, I like that. Um uh, the whole season I've enjoyed the, the use of the Defiant and, but yes, getting a sense of like, I don't, did they build new sets for this one, Fathery? Uh, yeah, this is the first time we see the engineering set, which I don't know if I've ever really thought of that before. Cause we see more of it going forward, but isn't sure. it, it's like a cute little engineering room. Like it's small for like the, because the Defiant is small. It's like a little, it looks cool. Core. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, the suspense, uh, obviously the, you know, one of my favorite horror movies of all time is the thing. And so they play up that, you know, don't trust, uh, don't trust anybody. They have their own sort of rules that they, they build up to around that, like working in pairs, you know, confined to quarters, you know, any little thing they can do to, to make it work out for them. And, and still there's a certain point when several people have been out of sight of other people for a while. And there's like this group of like half a dozen people and Cisco's like, shit any one of us could at this point be one of them could be the changeling and so they do you know the blood test stuff and um uh and then you know the changeling's pretty clever about how he how he goes about things i don't know why the changeling doesn't kill jadzia or julian when it has opportunities to um hmm. but 
uh, other than the fact that, like, they don't want to kill their main characters. Sure, sure, but, like, yeah, should they have come up with a better reason for it? Maybe, you know, it's kind of hard to know exactly what the changeling ultimately intended. Like, he probably doesn't want to destroy this ship per se because he doesn't want to kill Odo, and Odo's on the ship. Mm-hmm. And so he might have, like, intended to, like, not press things by killing off people he knew were Odo's friends. He didn't want to press the issue. You could probably, without too much trouble, kind of figure out this, a psychological reason for it. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. There, there's there's a few points where it probably should have acted and didn't. And they um, they do a good job, I think, kind of trying to trick the audience. Like after after they say that uh, oh Zia got a concussion, you know, when they find her knocked out and they they take her off to the sick bay. Uh, th- there's like that shot of O'Brien. And he's kind of like looking around, kind of real like um, suspiciously, like maybe he's the changeling. And then with Eddington, it's like, hey, Eddington, he's like the new guy we got this season. No one really knows too much about him. Maybe he's the changeling. But, you know, that was that was a fake out. And the way that the the changeling impersonated the doctor so that it could fake the blood sample. Yeah, uh, was was really cool. And like the reveal of that, when you, you see that door open and all of a sudden, like there's two Bashirs in frame suddenly mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, it's the doctor who's the changeling. They that was that was their coolest twist and one that I did not suspect. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was a way to take something, you know, like that broadly followed the structure of John Carpenter's movie and throw throw a kind of a neat twist into it. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a really good time. Uh uh, a good finale with a good cliffhanger. I don't know if I've ever really like thought of this, like comparing the finales of, of the different Deep Space Nine seasons, but it is very much in the same style as how we ended season one is they introduced Kai or Vedic Wynn. And they're mm-hmm. like, this is Vedic Wynn. She's terrible. And she's running for Kai. Uh, right. So that's the end of season one. You know, season two ends with here's the Dominion. And they can take down a galaxy class starship. Watch out! And then season three ends with you know the changelings are are everywhere, uh, so you know beware. Uh, yeah. And season four kind of, I guess, continues that. I, I guess that's something that they do like throughout the rest of the show as well. So they're they're sure. thoughtful about trying to. Trying I like to do something I like, like their finales. Uh, I believe I'm due to see Worf next season. I don't mind. That spoiler, I'm pretty yeah. 99% sure Warp is in the next season. Okay, well, if, <laughs> if you're uh, if you're comfortable with that, then I will tell you the yeah. very next episode is uh, is you see, you will see Warp set foot onto the station. Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking forward to that. I did really like enjoy this this season. Um, it's another one of those where the the craft of writing is just I think head and shoulders for me above most Star Trek shows. The one that's the only one that's sort of is tough to beat for me is actually TOS um, because I feel like their shows are so tightly written. So kind of at times just, just perfect little 40, 40 minute episodes. And I do really like that format, but as far as like using the um, episodic format merged with serial, you can't, I mean like even, even though I know this is like still not the best stuff that the, that, that the show will have to offer. It's, it's already really staked out its territory as the best of that style. I know, I know it's better than Discovery. I know it's better than Picard, and I know it's better than Voyager, and I know it's better than Enterprise. So, and Next Generation, and Next Generation, yeah. <laughs> and I guess that kind of went without saying, but yes, yes, because um, because because Next Generation wasn't even attempting it. Uh, they, there sure, really yeah. was very little continuity. 
Um, not, and I love all Star Trek shows. I'm not putting same, any Star Trek same. shows down. I just I just want to prop Deep Space Nine up as as the best, and or as uh, it sounds like we're in agreement on this. The original series and Deep Space Nine together, I think, are the two best Star Trek shows ever made. Uh, I think that's true. I think that's true. Anyway, this has been very fun talking about Deep Space Nine season three, and I'm ready to go ahead and start watching season four so I can see Warp with a ponytail. This will be it for for now, and until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek, and follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you, and take care.